Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares. This is episode 12. And tonight we are talking about the 1980 Lamberto Bava movie Macabre, also known as Frozen Terror. My name is Luke and I'm joined by Leland. Hi there. Listeners, if you at home have yet to see 1980s Macabre and would like to be ahead of the curve for this episode of Video Store Nightmares, then, as of this broadcast, you can find it for free on Tubi, in Spanish dubbing on YouTube, or for rent on Amazon if throwing $2 at a dystopian megacorporation is your thing. And then you, like us, can experience the slow burn, depraved Italian soap opera based off a clipping from an American newspaper. But good luck trying to find the exact story, because unsurprisingly, there's just way too many news articles about Americans caught keeping heads and other assorted body parts in freezers across the country. Are there? Did you try? There are way too many, and I didn't even get to the right decade. Also, not a big deal, but there are many movies that share this title, so be sure to match the year if you're looking for it. And you should know that if you decide to watch this on Tubi, it's mislabeled as from 1983, but it's the correct bill. Yeah, I think that's when it was released in the United States. I think it came out in Italy in 1980 and then the United States in 83 or 84. And of course, we've retitled it. Which title do you like best, Macabre or Frozen Terror? Well, what about the Italian title of Macabro or Macabro? I, I don't know. I, I don't even know the correct pronunciation of all the items on an Olive Garden menu. So I, I, I don't even think I know how to say it. Like, is, is it like spaghetti alla Macarbonara or... Is it like, um, is it like Macabro as in be a Macabro and don't barge in when I got my dead paramour sweater hanging off the doorknob? I, none of that means anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sticking with Macab. I, I, that is my preferred title. Mm-hmm. It's also the title that's on my Japanese VHS tape. Um, and the first title that I saw this under. This is a first time watch for you, right? Yes. All right. And to your knowledge, have you seen any other Lamberto Bava movies? I do not believe so, but this man did work on some things we have covered on this show before. Yeah. So he, well, he's the son of Mario Bava, who did like Black Sabbath, probably best known for Bay of Blood which was kind of like a proto slasher movie. But anyway, so this is his son and he's probably most famous for doing the demons movies, but he worked under Dario Argento under Paul D'Amato or um, what's his Joe D'Amato. I don't know. He worked with like all the Italian greats. I have a feeling it was kind of a click. This, all of these directors, producers, cinematographers, they all feel like they all had a hand in each other's work. Well, the way I heard the story is that he was called into the studio with the expectation that he was being asked to work on a film, not knowing that they wanted him to direct it. And so this was his directorial debut. 
and it's got a different flavor than his other movies, or at least the other movies that I've seen. After this, he made a movie called A Blade in the Dark, uh, starring one of the actors from this movie, the one who plays the blind guy. And that movie's a much more straightforward, typical giallo film. It's good, but this is kind of its own thing. Like uh, this, maybe maybe you disagree with me, but this feels different than most other Italian films from this period do. No, I agree. And um, I, I do touch on that a little bit in the end review, the end like synopsis that I have for this, but it really doesn't feel so much like an Italian horror film. It feels more like a um like a soap opera with a ghastly twist yeah no it seems italian to me but so if you if you watch demons for example demons feels like you're watching maybe a dario argento movie which makes sense because he produced it if you watch a blade in the dark it feels like you're watching i mean any number of directors giallos uh but this has its own feeling like i feel like maybe if lamberto bava was not under the thumb of anyone else then maybe the rest of his movies would have felt more like this one but i don't know anyway it, it, so without without spoilers who who if anyone would you recommend this movie to I mean, I, for anyone who's interested in Italian horror films, I think this is still a solid watch, but I wouldn't use it as like an introductory title if you're trying to get someone into it, because this film is a little slower than some of the other films in this genre. Yeah, agreed. Did this movie remind you of Beyond the Darkness? Yes, absolutely. And I think that this would make a great double feature with Beyond the Darkness. I think the best way to approach this film is as like a spiritual successor or like a spiritual sequel to it. Yeah, this has a very similar tone. I think I said that last week and is some plot details in common, obviously. Did you recognize any of the actors or actresses from this? The main actress looked incredibly familiar, but just doing a five second skim of her filmography, I could not figure out what I had seen her in before. So I recognize her from Extro. I have not seen that. It's on my, it's right next to my VCR. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, you definitely need to watch it. In fact, I mean, I'd say we'd do it on the cast, but like, Every cast has done that. But yeah, she's like the main female lead in that movie. Um, so that's what I think of her from. But she gets a lot more to do uh, in this one. Did you like, do you like her performance here? Yes. I think the synergy between her and Robert, the, the blind man, I, I don't remember his actor's name. Um, I think that is the main reason to watch this film. I actually, I think the standout in this movie is the daughter. Mm. So the daughter is played by an actress named Veronica Zenny. And how old would you say she is in this movie? 
I'm really bad at determining the age of Shane. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm really bad at it too. Oh god, so you're we both suck at this game, but I'm the only one. I'm the only contestant. So, well, I don't have an answer. Uh, uh oh. <laughs> I was I was guessing maybe she was like 11. I thought you had like a fact sheet in front of you or something. No. No, I have no answer. I mean, I could go and deduce it from the internet, but I don't care that much. I was just curious. I think I, she- a long time ago, I did like a um, a, a themed uh, horror movie marathon for like evil children films. If I knew about this, I would have totally have thrown it in there. But I feel like a lot of these kinds of films that have evil or like nefarious children, they always find the right like messed up kid to play the part. Yeah, I actually think she is far better than a lot of those child actors at actually coming across as evil. Like she seems evil in this movie. Um the the way I was thinking of it is that she's kind of like um she's she's like a penny from Inspector Gadget, but like criminally insane. Like she's on the case to ruin your life and i mean i guess like in this film though there really isn't like an unqualified white man to barge in and take full credit for for her like impressive detective work but uh yeah she she is all her own and causes a lot of grief to her mother which you can argue like totally deserves it in a way yeah, I, I mean, in a way, I feel bad for saying she's evil. What she really comes across as is like narcissistic with maybe like antisocial personality disorder. Like she clearly has no feelings about anyone else's emotions or life or state of mind. Everything she does in this movie, and it could be argued, I think, that she is the villain of the movie. Um, everything she does is just designed to accomplish what she wants i suppose but i think some of these horrible things would have still happened without her hand in the cookie jar also i'm pretty sure your definition of her personality matches like D D chaotic evil alignment oh perhaps <laughs> um all right so let's let's play the trailer and then we'll get into the plot get away with it this time too but you didn't think around me little lucy did you mommy dearest you know i love you mommy everyone loves you because you're so pretty you always were the prettiest you're just trying to poison his mind against her you're jealous you want her all for yourself look young man she's no longer my wife and i'm not interested as far as i'm concerned she doesn't exist She's dead. Oh, take me now. Oh. 
Don't go in the kitchen, please. Lucy's been here, hasn't she? She... Why did you let her go upstairs? She had a present for you. That isn't so much a trailer as it is an Italian horror music video. Like, there's very little dialogue. And, you know, we've, we have covered some really spoilery trailers for films before. But I, I think this one takes the crown for queen of spoilage. Not a single plot point or big reveal is missed in these two minutes. But it's mostly visual. The audio is only half spoiler. Yeah, I mean, but with that said, like... How else do you sell this movie? Uh, I don't you know. You would like, have a hard time selling it. Uh, like the big yeah, like the big reveal, you can't show that. And that's it's like the majority of the film. Yeah. Of the plot anyway. All right, well let's stop critiquing the trailer and and we'll actually get into the movie. Um so as you mentioned earlier, this is supposedly based on I, I think the opening credits say it's inspired <laughs> by actual events. Yes, of course. And this is another example of an Italian movie that's taking place in the United States. It's supposed to be in New Orleans, which is where the the real the actual events uh, supposedly occurred. Um, sometimes it's obvious that they're filming in New Orleans. Sometimes it doesn't look like New Orleans, and I'm not sure where they are. Um, but as you heard in the trailer there, Everybody is dubbed with an atrocious Louisiana accent. I appreciate the attempt at accurate regional accents. Plus, like, this woman is British, so they can't exactly use her, her real voice. Yeah, I... It, yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to hear her real voice, watch Extra. Uh, it's better than the voice they gave her in this one. But anyway, we we open with our main character looking out the window at her two children playing and from the very opening scenes we know that this little girl is a bitch because her brother is like i'm going for a ride on this little bicycle and she's like okay but if you fall off don't yell for me and uh and she proceeds to kind of berate him as the mother watches and the mother does not seem very interested in her children, <laughs> right? Th their father's going off to work and he's like, you know, your mom told me that she was taking you to the movies. But then when the girl asks if they're going to the movies, the mom is like, no, my business meeting got moved up. And of course, it's actually an affair that she is going to meet her to rendezvous with her lover. It's, it's not even subtle. Like, even the daughter has figured it out. Yeah, no. And so do you think the husband knows? Mm, I'm assuming not. Uh, he looks like he he's kind of his character's established as being sort of aloof and on business trips most of the time. Like, there's a line where um, 
you know, he someone asks him if he's retired, and he's like, "If I did that, what would I do with my life?" And then yeah. later on, there is a, a story or an aspect of the plot that he is made aware of, and he just completely discounts it, doesn't even consider it. So this man is pretty aloof. All right, we'll get there. I mean, I don't know if I'd consider that either, um, although it seems difficult to make up. But we'll get there. So the the mother whose name is Jane, I think. Jane. Jane yeah. Baker. Yeah, we are we are professionals now. We have lists with the names of the characters. We don't just have to call them by their archetypes anymore. Oh well, thank you for playing the secretarial role, I suppose, um, <sighs> and, and doing that research. Because uh, I can never keep track. I can't keep track of people's names in real life, much less in movies. Um, well, it's um, it's one thing to write the names down. It's another thing to completely utilize that list. Yeah. So. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we're cel- maybe I'm celebrating a little too preemptively. Well, Jane leaves to for her her lover's tryst, and her daughter immediately starts smoking, like pulls out some cigarettes and is smoking. And we show we we see where the mother is going. She rents a room at this house from a landlady and her blind son, and the blind son's name is Robert. He's going to be a major character and while she's there she gets a call from the daughter who's very obnoxiously asking how's the meeting going like you know clearly implying that there is no meeting and the mom just hangs up on her well it's because she wasn't supposed to be at that apartment she was supposed to be at her workplace right i think the daughter's just like going through random numbers in her address book i think it was like a little black book yeah. Although I yeah. don't know why you would need the phone number for that. Yeah, that does seem kind of odd. But the mom's, uh, I'm not just going to call her the mom the whole movie. Jane's, Jane's lover shows Baker. up. <laughs> what? You can go with Miss Baker. Uh, Jane is well, Mrs. Baker Jane. now. <laughs> right. So Jane, Jane's lover, whose name is Fred, shows up. And then we switch back to the little girl whose name is Lucy, right? Lucy. Yes. Lucy. I got it confused because the dad's name is Leslie. And yes. I, I, so anyway, so Lucy just drowns her brother in the bathtub. <laughs> and You're kind of skipping. There's actually some, some foreshadowing buildup here where there, there's like a long guy like working in the, in, in like the the bushes in the yard with like a lawnmower and i thought dude i thought she was gonna push that kid in front of the lawnmower did you you so you you reasoned out that she was gonna kill him yes also there's a part where the the lucy watches the their brother like pull the brakes out of his bicycle and she does nothing about it <laughs> yeah i i mean i the first time i saw this i surmised that there was animosity there but i didn't know she was gonna kill him and Uh, and it's supposedly an accident right but like the the brother is fully clothed it's not an accident i mean everyone seems to think it's an accident but it wasn't an accident right i i just i can't believe anyone would look at this and think it was an accident i mean you can drown in like uh like an, an inch high water 
I get that, but why would he be in the bathtub with all his clothes on? He had his boat. He was yeah. playing with his toy boat. Well, that seemed odd to me. But so Lucy calls Jane again to presumably tell her that her brother Michael has drowned in the bathtub. And so Jane rushes off with Fred and she's really hysterical and she keeps saying like, I'll never forgive myself. And, and she's distracting him. And of course they get in an accident and something like crashes through the front of the car and kills Fred. Could you tell what it was? It's the guardrail. I'm not sure exactly how this happened, but somehow the car wedged under the guardrail and pushed it up through the windshield where he was then beheaded. Yeah, I like that later in the film we get um, a newspaper clipping that points out that he was beheaded or decapitated. um, We are no strangers here to to news exposition. Right, so do you... now? Maybe I'm wrong because presumably this came from a uh, supposedly this came from a real newspaper headline, but I didn't think a newspaper would point out that the the body was decapitated. Um, I don't think I don't it would about, now anyway. I don't know about a newspaper, but there would be websites that would mention a decapitation specifically. I have seen. Um, I have seen local news articles that have mentioned very specifically the manner in which a victim is is killed in um, horrific crimes or accidents. Uh, What probably would not be on this article was uh, the fact that she was hospitalized, the specific reason for being hospitalized, and um, yeah, just all sorts of HIPAA violations in this newspaper. I mean, I realize it's the 80s, but I'm pretty sure it was still a thing. Yeah, so let's so let's hold off and get to that. Um we get a we get a flashcard that says that it's one year later and Jane is just getting out of a psychiatric hospital and she goes to the building where she was renting the room, her love shack, and she's going to stay there instead of returning to her husband. Uh, and we don't we don't find out why exactly if it was his decision or her decision, but she's staying here. Um, and we find out that the landlady has died, but Robert, the blind son, is still there and he's running things. And he says that Jane has been sending him checks from the hospital to keep this room rented. Did that seem odd to you? So, much like in the spirit of Beyond the Darkness, and and maybe I'm just a, a fucking idiot here, but I completely misunderstood the living situation in this apartment building until almost the end of the film because I was under the initial impression that this house belonged to the paramour or uh, Fred where he lived with his son and a maid but then it turns out you know the help was the landlord and also Robert's mother so it took me some time to try to figure out like the exact living situation here. Like for about two thirds of the film, I thought Robert and Fred were related. Oh no, certainly not. No, uh, <laughs> but Robert is played by a character or by an actor named Stanko Molnar. I, I don't know that's how if that's how his name is pronounced, <laughs> but 
and I don't know if he does a really good job or if the movie does a really good job of suggesting this otherwise, but I think it's obvious right away that he has a thing for Jane. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm assuming this actor is uh, not actually blind because you've seen him in other things, right? Yeah, no, he's not blind. Man, he does a really convincing job. Like, I, I don't know if this was one of those cases where they used like vision obfuscating contact lenses, but but like even then, he performs all of these small mannerisms that really sell the character. Like, uh, there's a scene where he enters a room and then feels for the heat of a light bulb to check if a lamp is on. And it's the little things like that that I think uh, really shine in this film as far as uh, building up the characters, which are much deeper than Beyond the Darkness. Yeah, and that's, that's one thing I was saying where, like, this is a really far cry from Demons, which has doesn't even have a story. Right. So like, it's just strange to me that Lamberto Bava did this sort of character driven, nuanced thing, albeit exploitative, and then kind of drifted away from that in the rest of his career. But yeah, I, I guess I sort of drifted away from the question. Um, you know, I know they're not related, but like that wasn't stopping like the Pornhub stepmother vibe energy that these two were radiating in like every scene. Like it seemed like kind of incestual to me. Yeah, I, I guess I can see that. I mean, it, in the the first scene where we see Robert, everyone's treating him like a kid. Like his mother is walking in on him taking a bath and he says something like, I'm not a kid anymore. So although he looks probably like 30 or 35, there's a suggestion that people treat him as helpless, even though he is not. Before I realized he was blind, like in that bathtub scene, I had like this yellow alert going off in my head, like possible code baby situation here. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, uh, he points out that nothing in her room has been touched and that everything is still or when she goes up, we see that everything is still in the fridge, which is pretty important because the freezer has a lock on it. And we don't know why at this point. Did you have any suspicion at this point? No, I thought she was just checking out the the apartment and hey, freezer's locked. All right. This man really doesn't want anyone getting to his Ben and Jerry's. Well, this was her room, right? So he's saying like nothing in your room was was touched. Oh, either way, that ice cream is protected. And if yeah, well, we'll find out what kind of ice cream it is later in the film. But we see Robert, he like puts on a tie and a blazer and he fixes dinner which seems to consist of like Campbell's soup poured out of a can and he goes up to ask Jane if she wants to join him for dinner and she turns him down. She says that she has other plans, but does tell him that he looks very elegant in his outfit. Like he, co he consistently tries to like proposition Jane and she keeps turning him down, 
But at the same time, she does just enough to like give him hope. Do you think that she's being naive or is she intentionally like teasing him and messing with him? She is emotionally manipulating this guy. Do you think she's just doing it because she's like an emotional sadist and enjoys it? Well, think about Lucy having evil chromosomes, right? Where do you yeah. think she got those evil chromosomes from? So <laughs> she didn't get them from her dad. So you think she's kind of a sadist? Yeah, I think that's good. That's a good way to put it. One of the things I like about this movie, but in and especially had me really intrigued the first time I watched it, is just trying to decipher her character. Because like the actress does a good job, but she's still really impenetrable in some ways. Like I can't always suss out what she's thinking or what her motives are. But I, I know, you, you make a good point that there seems to be a connection between her and the daughter or similarity. And maybe that's why they don't, or at least she does not seem to like her daughter. <laughs> no, I think the only person she liked was, uh, was Fred. Fred. Yeah. We see that she's putting up like a little shrine to, to Fred, like with his picture and there's some news clippings and a button and, like a name tag and she lights candles everywhere. And then we get one of the stranger masturbation scenes that I've seen in a movie. She kind of stares at the shrine and rolls around on bed on the bed and, and moans like, Oh, Fred. And, and Robert can hear all of this from the room downstairs. Did you, <laughs> did you find this sexy at all? Or was it just weird? No, it is not arousing at all. But she it's in this first scene, it doesn't even seem like she's touching herself. She's just laying there and it's just all happening. That's why I'm saying it's weird is she's not she's just kind of rolling around. I don't know. It's a very strange scene. Um I mean, okay, at at the at the the risk of maybe revealing a spoiler, I, I just want to add that I think it's it's refreshing to see a character exhibition that's that's the new term now on a sexual deviant that's a woman for a change right like women can be just as creepy and homicidal and debased as men so it's great to see this representation in media is this film empowering to women because i mean she is certainly boss hog you know she kind of grabs the reins and takes control up until about the end yeah, I don't know if it's empowering or not, but it's certainly female-centric. Like, the focus here is on the two women, or the woman and her daughter. I mean, the, the portability of the shrine was, was pretty surprising to me. I, I guess that's, that's kind of the testament to what the, fem the, the feminine touch can, can bring to the science of stalking an unhealthy romantic obsession. Like, if you, you know if this film was about some dude... This shrine would be like a wall fixture or something surrounding like a 300 pound tasteful stone statue or a, a, a solid piece fused with a radiator covered in hair and clothing and like jars of fluid. But but this is how you do it right here. You know, you obsess at your convenience, 
and then you can fold it up and hide it when your landlord sends like maintenance to fix your air conditioner. Yeah, I mean, this pretty much looks like a like a school show and tell presentation. <laughs> right? Like it's one of those trifold cardboard presentation boards. Um, so we see Robert working on an instrument, I think the trumpet, but we find out that this is what he does for a living is he repairs instruments and a guy comes over to get his and we get an exchange where the guy is, is noticing that the electricity has been turned on because apparently Robert did not feel a need to have it on before and which See, it strikes me as really unbelievable in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, Italians have no idea how hot it can get in the American South. Like, they, if yeah. you had your AC off for this long, your house would just become a giant black mold coffin. Yeah, this, this would not fly in New Orleans. But the guy asked if Mrs. Baker has moved back in, and Robert won't say anything. And then he says that, he always thought Robert probably had a way with women and he's very interested in seeing who's upstairs, but Robert ushers him out. Do you think this is like possessiveness that Robert just wants Jane all to himself? Nah, I think he's just kind of caving to like societal pressure that, you know, men have to be sexually promiscuous and dominating and all that. He's uh, like, man, you know, you, you handsome Robert, you know, won't you tell me your secrets? What you got? You got pictures? So this is a part where I think we can tell how sort of antisocial Jane is because we see her sitting in front of the mirror and she's practicing saying, hello, Leslie, who's her husband, and, and laughing like maniacally at the mirror. What did you think was going on in this scene? I think she was just trying to practice not having a I'm going to kill you face in front of her daughter because, you know, essentially Lucy's she blames Lucy for Fred's death, essentially. Right, well, as well as her her child's death, even though it's well, I mean, they all think it's accidental, but that doesn't mean you can't blame her for it. Well, she was there. Right. And, and before she left, Jane told Lucy to supervise her brother and so i think she blames lucy for not watching over him she also told some random long guy to make to watch over the kid while she was gone do you remember that scene it looked like he was in a complete it, it was obviously filmed a completely different day on a completely different film set and he's just like yeah off camera yeah i'll watch the children never see him again <laughs> Oh, I miss that. That that didn't stand out to me. But it definitely stood out to me that she resents Lucy for not watching her brother. But even before that happens, like in the very first scene, it seems like Jane really does not like Lucy. Mm, not like might be a strong word. Indifference might be there. I don't know. I mean, you could probably make the you know, the, the Casey Anthony argument that she feels like her kids and family are holding her back from her high party lifestyle of um, affairs in random New Orleans apartments. Right. Yeah. So um, she's she's practicing because 
uh, her husband, Leslie, is coming over with Lucy. And the way Lucy reacts to seeing her mom is is super creepy. She like jumps all over her and says how much she missed her. And but this is not like an excited child seeing her mom. This is like I don't know how would you describe this reaction. This is deliberate psychological warfare. Lucy knows that she is pushing all the right buttons to get her mother to self-destruct. You think so? What do you think her ultimate end game is? just make her mother miserable for breaking up the family. Yeah, we'll we'll get there because that becomes more clear as the movie goes on. But her but, husband That was the I mean that was the impression I got right away. I didn't I'm not saying that in like in retrospect. Yeah, I to me Lucy came across as more just general evil. You know, like, every good villain has an honest backstory. They have good intents. I guess. <laughs> um, so she thought that killing her brother in the bathtub in the beginning would be the thing that brought her parents together? No, that was an act of rage because the mom was breaking the family up. At that point, it was just, uh, you know, vengeance. Oh, see, I thought of that. I thought of that as like the ultimate plea for attention. How else can I ensure that my mom comes home? I can kill my brother. Yeah, I guess you can make the argument for both because it's definitely not really spelled out, I suppose. No, which is part of what I like about this movie. I like that we the characters are not spelled out for us. So you can really think about what they're doing and why. So they have kind of an awkward conversation, but they leave after like five minutes. This was like a five minute visit. It seemed very odd to me. Yeah. Leslie did not want to be there. No, not at all. So he ushers, he ushers Lucy out Lucy. Uh, but first Lucy goes into Robert's room and asks about the musical instruments. And this is where he says that, he doesn't know how to play them. He only repairs them, which seems like an odd um, thing to have gotten into. Like, how do you learn to repair instruments if you don't play them? I'm not sure, but I really feel like this is one of those very minor details that really just helps build the character. Like, it's just so unusual. Like, uh, you would think, okay, not every repair instrument repairman person is going to be you know a, a professional musician or maybe even um like a hobbyist musician but it just seems like, like not an odd thing able to play it at all like that's 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 still like an interesting character flaw well maybe not necessarily flaw but you know what i mean it just seems like an odd thing to have gotten into <laughs> but before they leave uh jane is crying and Lucy says, like, don't worry, I'll be back. And it doesn't really seem like Jane wants her to come back. It sounds like a threat the way she says, I'll be back. Yeah. The next night, Jane comes in late and Robert has dinner set out. And she has forgotten that she said 
she would have dinner with him, but they could have a drink if he wants. And so he gets a bottle of wine and brings it upstairs and she's in the bathtub, but invites him into the bathroom and it, it tells him to pour a drink. And she's really like domineering. Do you think this is all to tease him? Like, you know, I'm naked and you can't see me. Yeah. Um, I don't know what Jane did before she was uh, put into the mental hospital. But I think nowadays Jane would probably be on like Skillshare teaching like a master class on how to manipulate blind virgins. Like she does this the entire film. It's all power moves. Yeah. So she asks him if he's ever had a girlfriend and he says no. And she says, I think this year you're going to find one. Ugh. Yeah. He asks if she's expecting someone and she's like, why are you jealous? And she doesn't answer either way, but she tells him to leave the gate open, which seems to suggest that someone is coming to visit. Like at this point, did you think that someone was coming to visit her? No, I, I have two theories. One is a spoiler. And the other is that she was really she that she was probably discharged from that hospital way too early. Well, I think whichever of your theories are correct, she was probably discharged too early. <laughs> like that doesn't seem mutually exclusive. But we see her unlocking the freezer and ominous music starts. And we see Robert listening in the room downstairs as she she keeps moaning Fred and saying, I need you and I love you. Do you at this point in the movie, did you sympathize with Robert or did you think he was weird and creepy? At no point did I think Robert was being weird and creepy. Uh, I did think that he was misguided, but that. That was mostly due to his living circumstances, not necessarily due to some misguided judgment. I was waiting. Uh, I was silently rooting for Robert to scream on one of these scenes, you know, right at the ceiling. You know, I'm blind, not deaf, because he can hear all of this stuff. All of it. Right. Um, and I think she knows and doesn't care. It I alternate like there are scenes where I'm really rooting for him and I, I feel really sympathetic for him. And there were some points where I was like trying to imagine what it would be like to be blind in this situation. Like it would be really bad. Um, but on the other hand, I do think he acts weird and creepy. And there are parts where he's just I can't identify with him. And so I can't sympathize with him. I think but, this is the only likable character in the film. <laughs> I mean, yeah, in the traditional sense. Yeah, right? in the traditional sense. Like, I love movies with characters like Jane and Lucy, but it's not because they're likable. Actually, okay. So I thought he was kind of weird at first because I thought he was trying to, like, move in on his uh, his go his, his dad's... Um, former lover oh yeah because you're until I, until I figured out that they weren't related yeah so one of Just imagine like imagine setting up your ideal like stepmom fantasy and then getting like cock blocked by ghost dad that's what he... I thought was happening in this film no I could sense your confusion <laughs> I, I I get it 
one of Robert, I guess this is a friend of Robert's like this, this woman shows up with a newspaper clipping and this is the newspaper clipping about the accident. We never see this woman again, right? Nope. This is the only time. But yeah. So she just shows up with a newspaper clipping. You think Robert would ask her out sometime? Yeah. It, and it seems to make sense. He's just got a thing for Jane. So Lucy start or yeah, Lucy starts showing up at the the house looking for her mom, but her mom isn't there. And she asks to go up to her mom's room so that she can surprise her because she has a gift. And so Robert gives her the keys. And I think we're supposed to feel suspense during this scene, like Lucy's gonna discover something. But I'm not really sure what. And all all that really happens is she's brought her mom a picture of her dad because she wants them to get back together. And Oh, that's not what it was. That's what she said it was to Robert, but that's not what it was. Oh, well, what was it? It was a portrait of the dead son. Oh. Yeah, which I totally called when I was watching this film. I'm like, I bet that's what it is. I must have looked away from the screen, like just in time to miss that. I mean, uh, there's a lot of really small jump cuts in this film. I I would be surprised if it was like one second scene. But yeah, it was like little kid black and white photo portrait. So Lucy told Robert that's what it was. But that's just her being, you know, chaotic, evil, manipulative. Yeah, so she tells she tells Robert that he's the only one that she can talk to because he it's just her and uh it's just her and Robert that know the secret of her mom coming there to see a man. And when Jane gets back and she sees the picture, she's furious and she throws it against the wall and she runs to check the freezer, but it's still locked. She kind of yells at Robert like she doesn't want anyone going in her room. This is one of the few times in the film where she loses her gentle facade and yeah, her, just her, goes off on Robert. Her preternatural calm is is shattered for a moment. It, she apologizes later, so it, it doesn't last very long. And she asks, she asks Robert if she can see his room. And she says it lacks a woman's touch, um, but he really likes it. And then she starts to strip all the sheets off of his bed and ask where he keeps the fresh ones. So at this point, in this point, I thought she was stripping off the sheets because she wanted clean ones because she was going to sleep with him. And I think that's I think, what he thinks. Yeah, right? that is definitely what he thinks. And I think that is the intent to make him think that way. Right. Uh, she even says, I haven't made a man's bed in ages. And then she starts to undress him. But when he tries to touch her breast, she she pushes, pushes him away and leaves. And immediately we hear her talking to Fred. So, yeah, this is just another bait and switch, like inviting Robert into the bathroom just to frustrate and humiliate him, I guess. But this is the last straw of getting cucked. Now he decides to take things into his own hands. Yeah. So he sneaks into her room and he's feeling around on her bed and he finds 
a little piece of ear with an earring on it. And then he goes to the freezer, but he can't get it open. Right. And, and we see Jane is on a, a river ferry and Lucy shows up at the house again to, and is very insistent, very demanding. She's like, aren't you going to let me in? Uh, and she tells us that today is the anniversary of her mother's death. And I thought this was weird. She said, every year, my father and I go to the cemetery to see his grave. This is the first year, right? It's just been one year. Yeah. And she wants uh, Jane to go with them because she thinks that this would be a good time for her parents to reconcile while in the graveyard over her brother's gravestone. It does not seem like Lucy has a very firm grasp on like human psychology. I mean, in her defense, she's like 10. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But, but now I'm like starting to question whether she ever wanted the parents to get back together or is this just, is this just more plotting and backstabbery to, to get at the mother's like mental well-being? Yeah, you really can't know. I mean, I think that she does want them together, but not not for them. She wants them together so that she has all their attention. That's how it strikes me, hmm. is this is all about them paying attention to her. We see Jane in bed with someone, and Robert is sneaking around listening to her, uh, and he sneaks into the freezer, which is unlocked, but there's nothing there. And he put he does something to the lock so that it won't fully close again. He sticks a broken matchstick in the locking mechanism, so it's jammed and cannot fully lock. Yeah, so I, I, there's a there's like a real bra scene in in this part of the film where his character kind of like cracks a door and looks through it. It's like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah As he's like slinking around the house yeah see this is the kind of moment where i lose sympathy for him because he's acting like a fucking creep is he i don't know i feel like he's just trying to defend the fortress at this point i mean this is his house his property yeah but she's paying for a room like isn't she deserving of privacy if she really does have like a lover over which by all indications she does I think this is after the part where he set up a thin tightrope to see if someone was coming into the house and uh, yeah. that rope was never triggered. So as far as he knows, there's no one in the house and she's acting very suspicious. And now that he has literally found a human ear, you know, he has to do his own investigating. Yeah, okay, that's true. The ear was taken a little far. So he goes back to the freezer later and opens it up, and we see that it's Fred's head inside. So so this is like the big reveal. Had you figured this out already? I was I was like, please, please don't let it be his dick. <laughs> like frozen like some <laughs> sort of push pop. Please. <laughs> and I'm like, oh thank God, it's just the head. <laughs> like this, this rotten freezer burned head like my first 
my first thought was like, when did she have time to go grave robbing before getting Baker acted, right? Like, Yeah, that's what I couldn't figure out. How did she get it? Uh, maybe her hospitalization wasn't court ordered. So she had some time before she like self-imposed herself into medical exile. Like, yeah, so, this so, head is looking pretty rough. Like, we can't really describe it on here accurately, but... Hey, what do you think is more socially acceptable? Romancing a rotting beat head or like a crypt desiccated like zombie head? I don't know. I liked your description of freezer burned. That um <laughs> I think that describes it best. The see the American VHS tape kind of ruins it because it has the the head in the freezer on the front cover of the box. Yeah, I guess we should have gave a warning at the beginning of this podcast. If you look up anything about this film, everything is a spoiler. Luckily, I didn't. I just found it and watched it. But it's so, so easy. So, yeah, the, the, the foreign VHS tape has like a, a broken doll's head on it. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but the American one definitely ruins it. But di so did had you guessed this or was this a total shock? Again, I was like, please don't let it be a dick. That's the, I, I couldn't figure out what else would be in there. A head is more sensible, but, you know, it's, it's an Italian horror film. We've seen some pretty, you know, exploitative things on on these films that we have covered. I did love the reveal, though, because when he first when Robert first oh, like, gets to the freezer, it's completely empty. Right. And then the second time when he comes and checks it, it you're just like, oh, my God. There's an ice tray in here now. How did that get in here? Oh, there's a head. Like, yeah. I don't know what happened, but they slid an ice tray in there at some point between the scenes. I, I also like how he reached out and like touched it. And he's like, yeah, I recognize that porn mustache anywhere. <laughs> well, I wonder if that's, that's Fred's why, mustache. I wonder if that's why Fred is the only mustachioed character in the movie. <laughs> Although... Like, Although uh, Robert wouldn't know that. I, I don't think he's felt Fred's face before. Well, apparently at some point it happened because that's how he recognized it was him. Between, yeah. well, between touching the face and I think the earring on the ear. That was like the confirmation. Right. So in the next scene, Lucy and Jane are in her room. And Lucy asks... Am I going to get those wrinkles around my eyes too? And do you think this is a sincere question or do you think that she's just like trying to upset her mother? This this girl is trying to systematically dismantle her mother's psyche. Yeah, you can tell that again, Jane does not like her. <laughs> like she does not respond well to this. But they're going out shopping and Robert asks if um, they'll go to like a certain store for him to get him a certain type of glue that he needs for the instruments. And while they're gone, he calls Mr. Baker, Leslie, to tell him about the head. And Mr. Baker, you heard this in the trailer, he's like, I want nothing to do with her. I don't believe you. And she's as dead to me as my son who died because of her. So like it, this is, we did not see this side of Leslie in that earlier scene. 
in that earlier scene, he was like polite and non-confrontational. And now he's like, yeah, she's dead to me. I mean, he's quick to the point. He doesn't want to hear about her anymore. Also, I missed it. Did you say that the letter or that the note that he wrote was actually a secret message to to Leslie? No, I did not. I don't think that it was. Yeah, instead of writing a shopping list, he wrote that message on there for Leslie. And he handed it off to Lucy. And Lucy read the message, saw what it was, and gave it to him. That's like when the scene starts, it's unfolded on the table in front of him. It's like, you know, he's like asking for Leslie to contact him. I wonder if that was another victim of my dark VHS tape. Hmm. Time to come to the bright light of uh, LCD monitors and Tubi. Yeah, no, I, I'm watching on like an old an old TV that doesn't get very bright. Um, <laughs> you might need to get a new CRT. Well, we have we have new TVs downstairs that like have good pictures, but the one I have up upstairs is the only one small enough to fit in like my media room. Hmm. Um, yeah, I have my VCR hooked up to my giant LCD that I used to use for all my old school gaming. Yeah. So Mr. Baker says that, you know, the whole story is absurd and that Robert's imagination has gotten the best of him. And Lucy overhears this conversation and she's like, you're trying to poison my dad's mind and um, I'm going to make my mom leave and you'll be all alone. <laughs> and like this, this gets to him like this is some cruelty right here yeah like we can see that he's upset by that prospect even after he discovered the head he still wants jane there uh, maybe i don't know about that because like was he trying to drive jane away from any prospects of getting back together with leslie I don't think so. I think he sincerely wants like her to get help. But he also genuinely seems he genuinely seems upset that she might leave. <laughs> so maybe he's conflicted. They're like this action initially kind of confused me as far as far as like what does his character want in the end game? But yeah, maybe you're right. I thought at this point he was starting to lose attraction to her, but maybe it was to like burn the bridge so that she would have to rely on him. Yeah, I'm really not sure. I mean, it's it's definitely open to interpretation because we're not told. But I always got the feeling that he wants her to get help, and that's why he's upset that the that Mr. Baker does not believe him. But he also wants her to be there, and that's why it upsets him when Lucy talks about trying to drive her away. So Lucy takes um, his keys because she knows where they are from earlier and sneaks into her mom's room. And Robert is begging her not to go into the fridge, but she does anyway, and she sees the head. And she seems remarkably unfazed. 
But then again, this is the girl who killed her brother. Like, yeah, drowned her brother in a bathtub. Yeah. So she tells Robert that she doesn't know what he thinks he saw in the freezer, but he's crazy and he's imagining things. And she knows that he's in love with her, but he's crazy. She says he's nutty as a fruitcake. And this is where he shows her the earlobe. And he's like, if I'm crazy, then tell me this isn't a, an earlobe. So what do you think is Lucy's motivation at this point just to like keep her mom out of a mental hospital? I don't know about that. Uh, again, like uh, I don't think her, her goal is to get the parents back together necessarily. I think she just wants vengeance from uh, for, for breaking the family up to begin with. But see, it, then this scene wouldn't really make sense, though. Like if that she, was her. She she essentially found like a nuclear weapon to use against her mother. Like th this is such a huge. Uh, what's the term I'm trying to think of? So it's a huge liability for her mother's like. Uh, like I her whole identity, right? because of what she's been doing with this head and how much it probably means to her because it's you know hidden out of sight and she, the fact that she still has it so you think that you think that lucy wants it to like emotionally blackmail her mother yes or just destroy her just completely destroy her Nah, i mean i don't think that's outside the realm of possibility but i think she wants her parents to get back together and she knows if the head is discovered that her mom will be sent back to the mental institution and she doesn't want that that's what i think but anyway robert continues kind of acting like nothing's wrong lucy's making them all vegetable soup for dinner and the three of them are going to eat together and robert does say he doesn't feel well and he's not going to eat any but they really pressure him to taste it and and her mom during this conversation says something like i don't even know what grade my daughter's in yeah things you shouldn't say at the dinner table right. i mean th this is the first weekend well first off i'm surprised that that there isn't that they're even giving her um custody for a weekend but like this is the first time lucy is being forced to stay with her mom for for a weekend and I'm surprised she agreed to it, right? Like, imagine Lucy's child custody case in court. Like, man, it would have both parents pleading to the judge to give the other party full custody. Like, nobody wants this girl for the weekend. I don't know. It seems to me like the dad does. I mean, he's not very attentive, but he seems to actually care about her from what we see. I mean, he might be the dad that like cares in court. And then when he gets the kid on the weekend, he just is busy on business trips and such. Yeah, I think it's not so much that he is like opposed to her. He's just kind of indifferent. You know, it, it's it's going to be a long weekend or, or I guess a really short one because there's only like 10 minutes of runtime left. Yeah. So we see um, Jane gets the ear in her soup the earlobe and she screams and 
um lucy gives her this really evil look like i did that just for you mom <laughs> and and robert keeps asking lucy what's going on and lucy is yelling at her mom and this is a good speech she has here she says so you thought you could get away with it this time too everyone loves you because you're so pretty what about you and that thing you keep in the freezer you call that normal everyone knows about it everyone knows you're crazy the people from the hospital are coming and they're going to keep you forever i can tell you because no one would believe you anyway and this is where she admits that she killed her brother by drowning him in the bathtub so what did you think of this big confrontation well as we're about to see i think lucy had everything planned out but her fatal flaw was that like most children they they think they're invincible and she also totally forgot that she got her craziness chromosomes from her mom right she did not plan what was about to happen next yeah so jane strangles lucy and then drowns her in the bathtub so very fitting just ending for lucy and she pushes robert down the stairs while laughing maniacally like this is where uh this is where jane goes full crazy yeah first off good guy robert tried to save lucy he was concerned right about lucy's well-being even after lucy has been like a bitch to him See, every a nice guy everybody in this movie is mean to robert he deserved better <laughs> so um jane takes fred's head out of the freezer and she takes it to bed and she's making out with it and licking and chewing all over it like basically it's just trying to be as disgusting as possible at this point right while the tub is overflowing and now going down the stairs yeah like if i had not seen if i had not already seen necromantic this would uh this would be a really shocking scene and i guess it probably was really shocking in 1980 she's like licking on that thing yeah no she, this this is definitely a victory lap for her she killed her daughter she uh toppled robert down the stairs now she's just bringing it home yeah she's going like full on makeout session with this head but robert wakes up at the bottom of the stairs and she comes after him and he shoves her head into the oven is that what happens here yeah you know i wish my oven preheated that fast <laughs> yeah and it like it doesn't have a rack in it or anything so he can press her face right down on like the hot coils there uh, also was something in the oven which breaks off into her face yeah um i couldn't tell what it was I'm not sure. Maybe it was some kind of thermometer. But Either she, way, it went deep. Yeah, she falls to the ground, like presumably dead. And Robert goes looking for Lucy. And he starts to feel around on the bed. And then it looks like Fred's head bites his neck. And we get a screen text 
to tell us that no possible explanation for Robert's death was ever found. So this ending is undoubtedly the most controversial part of this movie. Like, what did you think of it? Well, first off, you you kind of just dropped all the buildup. Like, this was actually a part of the movie that was a little unsettling for me. Because as Robert opens the door to the bedroom, you can hear this low, raspy breathing. Could you catch that on your VHS copy? Yeah. And we don't know what it is, but there is the head on the bed. So presumably he's following that sound, reaching out, trying to find out what's making it or who's making it. Because again, he uh, is trying to save Lucy. He doesn't know that she is drowned in the bathtub. Right. And he blindly stumbles across the bedroom, hits the bed and is feeling around until the, <laughs> the, the, the admittedly garbage payoff happens. But the buildup from that point I thought was very strong. I mean, from a movie that's mostly kind of like, I mean, it's mostly like kind of like laughing fun and like, and, and sort of just experiencing that bizarre sexual tension relationship they got um between between him and, and jane the build-up was was not really that worth it <laughs> or, i mean the build-up was good the payoff was not worth it yeah um, maybe maybe it's because and i'm going to talk about this more in my review but it might be because i've seen this movie before like this is my second watch and so i knew what was going to happen and so i don't think the the build-up really affected me because I just think this last scene is kind of dumb. <laughs> and, uh, and, and and so I think I was just dreading the the dumb ending more so than I was in any kind of suspense. <laughs> but like for me, I didn't know it was going to happen. Right, right. But when, when you asked me earlier, do I, did I have an idea of what was in the freezer, right? Right. Um, there is one scene that kind of foreshadows that there is possibly a ghost in play. And it is a very strange scene where the camera is drawn low to the ground about only a couple inches off the floor. And it's almost like a POV view as it comes in from the, the front door and slowly climbs the steps. Does this ring a bell? Mm, sort of yeah so it's it's one of of two things right like either either it's like this ghost's potential ghosts like pov entering this house to like interact with this head or i don't know man Stuart little is like stalking his prey in the concrete jungle because <laughs> it's very ominous I I have never entertained the notion that there's a ghost in this movie. I just I think that the movie is absent any any supernatural elements and then they just threw this scene for like a shock jump ending. So so that was the the main scene that kind of indicated there might be some sort of of um presence. But there was also a really quick scene I just thought of it where um, Jane sees a sweater fall off a doorknob 
and she like exclaims like fred like yeah i did i welcomed she was welcoming his presence i do remember that scene and and i thought that that was just her crazy i thought that was just her crazy speaking so i was torn 50 50 between is this like one of those giallo red herrings where is there gonna be a ghost or is she just is she just nuts because that scene happens the the close to the floor scene happens very early on in the film right when she starts staying at the at the place but this totally secured it the (laughs) the um the sudden end to that scene (laughs) it's so uh it's so off from the rest of the film it's like as soon as that ghost bites him you don't even have time to like process it it's just bams epilogue (laughs) and with like some jazzy music the credits play to the same the same theme and the movie's over yeah as much as i hate that scene where the the head bites him on the neck if i had to have it at least it justified the epi- the on-screen epilogue text because I'm a huge fan of that in movies. And this one somewhat justified the neck biting to me. It's kind of like, you know, uh, continuing the, the mirage that this was based on actual events. And so then at the end, we, they could be like, you know, the head biting him is our hypothesis but who knows we're just showing you what we know and and this is this was uh this remains unknown what the cause of his death was talk about a cold case huh indeed so let's get to reviews why don't you start tell us overall thoughts and what your star rating is out of four man i feel like i'm gonna sound a little repetitive but um yeah as a horror film i think this falls a bit flat as i stated at the beginning um you know macabre watches like a a spiritual successor to beyond the darkness and um i i still stand by it being a very good companion piece for like a double feature although Overall, my impression is that the director of this film certainly carried a more deliberate intention behind the filmmaking process outside of just wanting to discuss audiences, which was um, something we uncovered when covering the the other film. The story is more complex. The, the characters are deeper. And despite sharing similar themes macabre is nowhere near as exploitative or violent again it's like a slow burn soap opera with sinister undertones and you'd think that the head would be the distinctive feature of this film but i was more fascinated with the sexual emotional bondage jane held over robert um i was more invested in 
trying to deduce Lucy's next move and sabotaging her mother's life. Um, I was waiting for Lucy to pull some kind of harmful stunt on Robert, but uh, as it wasn't in the script. Um, I enjoyed watching Macabre, but the payoff for the slow burn is pretty minor, whereas Beyond the Darkness just always has something going on. God, I sound like a caveman, like, uh, need violence. <laughs> uh, dopamine now. But uh, yeah, uh, it's still a solid watch for for like strange cinema. And again, it's good for that Beyond the Darkness double feature. Two stars. So the first time I watched this movie, uh, this is th- today I watched it for the second time. So the first time I watched it, I was like entranced. It had me the entire time. The acting, the sort of indeterminable character motives, the sort of narcissistic evil of the mother and daughter, which is a trope that I love in movies. I didn't know quite what was going on. And and I love what you're describing as like that soap opera feel. Like when it's in a horror movie context and it's kind of like psychodramatic. I really enjoy that. And the ending, not just the head, but the speech that Lucy gives about how no one's going to believe you. And she finally tells her like, I killed my brother and you've got Robert just blindly walking around helpless. Like I loved all of that. This second watch, knowing how it ended, I was a little bit bored and I didn't get sucked in nearly as much. So my takeaway is kind of, there's not a lot of rewatch value here. Visually, this movie looks kind of blah. The musical score is fine. It's like a like a somber, jazzy score, but it's nothing special. It's not like what we saw last week. And that ending scene, while providing shock value, I think disrupts the attitude of the rest of the movie. So... I have mixed feelings on this one, but I think like that first time you watch it, I think it can be really rewarding, especially if you love Italian horror movies. If you like Lamberto Bava and want to see where he came from, if you like Giallos and want to see something like a little bit different. Um, I think this is great for all of that. So uh, I'm really torn I'm going to give this 2.5. Ooh, bold. But the first time I saw it, I would have given it like 3.5. Hmm. So, yeah, it, it it declines on the rewatch. Anyway, that is it for Macabre, a.k.a. Frozen Terror. All right, so next week, we are going to be watching the 1982 Rinse Dream Masterpiece, Cafe Flesh. Uh, Leland, have you seen this film before? I have not. This is part of, uh, there are three movies by Rinse Dream 
I think people need to watch. There's Night Dreams, which was, I think, the first movie he wrote. And he did not direct it, but it has the same feel as Cafe Flesh. And then Cafe Flesh, he did direct. And then later he did Dr. Caligari, which the Laser Graves podcast did a great episode on. Everyone should go check that out. But the first two, Night Dreams and Cafe Flesh, are hardcore pornography. But they are also certainly of artistic merit. The story is interesting, the acting is decent, and the aesthetics of the film, visually and musically, are so beyond what I think any other porn film has to offer that this is something that like a mainstream audience could sit down and enjoy for the cinematic merits. I mean, it's weird. Don't get me wrong. He has a very like avant-garde uh, experimental theater aesthetic going on. But I think this is going to be a really interesting one to talk about. So with that said, um, I doubt you can stream it anywhere, but the DVD is really uh, readily available. Uh, the VHS is expensive as hell, but if you're a collector and you can find it, go for it. But anyway, either way, check out Cafe Flesh and join us next week. Leland, do you have any last words? Thank you for your continued support and thank you for your patience with our audio issues. We are definitely working on it. Yeah, my hope is that by next time um, we will be on improved audio. We will both be at the same volume without a lot of ticks and interruptions. So, yeah, look forward to that. In the meantime, if you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares, I post everything we do, um, including the giveaway. Uh, I'm announcing winners pretty much the same time this episode drops. So check Instagram and uh, if you entered. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe um, wherever you listen to us. That'll help us out. And other than that, I hope everyone has a good week, and we will see you next time for Cafe Flesh.